The Gut Pharmacist Podcast with Riley Ramosco, traditional naturopath and holistic nutritionist. Lyme disease is on the rise and it's making so many people sick and a lot of people are suffering with it, especially due to the lack of medical care, information, education, and resources out there for these people. There's still so much information that is being held from the general public, but there are great organizations and alternative practitioners who are doing a great job at getting the truth out there. So I'm going to talk about myths of Lyme disease today. Lyme disease is a acute or chronic illness that is triggered by the bacteria known as Borrelia burgdorferi. This is a stealth microbe, a stealth infection, or intracellular microbe. There are a few words for it, but basically this type of microbe is known to trick the immune system, shape shift, get into the bloodstream, and get into tissues. It needs a host to survive, and it does a great job at keeping someone alive, but along the way, illness can occur. So it does just enough to keep you alive, but so many people are chronically ill and feel torture every day, especially due to the fact that testing is inaccurate and inappropriate for these types of microbes, and doctors are not well-educated on the chronic illness version, and treating the acute illness is more emphasized but still has the wrong information and the wrong treatment. So one myth of Lyme disease is that after 24 hours, you can't get Lyme disease from the tick. That is actually false. So a tick can be attached for less than 24 hours and still transmit pathogens. Now, there is a lower risk of transmission the faster you remove the tick but many will claim there's no risk or very little risk if the tick is removed within 24 to 48 hours. And that's just simply not true. These ticks don't have a clock. They don't really care about the time frame. They can transmit pathogens basically however fast they want to. So a study on PubMed actually determined that transmission of the Lyme bacteria, Borrelia, can occur in less than 16 hours. Okay, so less than 16 hours. This 24-hour rule is no longer accurate, and it's unnecessarily harming a lot of people. Even more studies have found that the presence of spirochetes in the tick prior to feeding off the blood in the person can result in cases of rapid transmission. Again, less than 16 hours has been found. There's also evidence that transmission times and virulence depend upon the type of tick and the species of Borrelia. So these factors can also affect the time frame and the infection period. There are just many nuances to what's going on, and there's still a lot of wrong information. Another myth is that Lyme disease is just a tick-borne illness. There are many other ways to get Lyme disease, 
ticks are the most common, so that is true, but it's not the only way to get Lyme disease. There's actually evidence that shows Lyme disease can be transmitted by other vectors, so usually insects like mites, lice, fleas, even mosquitoes, and even spiders, and sexual contact and in utero, so in pregnancy. So there's many ways that someone can get these Lyme bacteria. And as a side note, it's never just the Lyme bacteria. There are also Lyme co-infections, which are many other microbes from mycoplasma to babesia, which is a parasite, and many others that come along with it. So it's never just the Lyme. It's many things that come in. But there is evidence that shows Lyme can be transmitted in a variety of ways. So there was a report that actually showed a patient was bitten by a fly. A fly. How horrible is that? And this patient presented with Lyme symptoms and even a bullseye rash 13 days later. Okay, so a fly. That is crazy. Another German study reported a patient developing arthritis, which is a very common manifestation of Lyme disease, and was positive for Borrelia following another fly bite. So another fly. Goodness. And several other studies have reported the Borrelia spirochetes, which is a spiral cork-shaped bacteria. So other studies have reported these bacteria being identified in mosquitoes, fleas, and even mites. So again, there's many ways that we can get it, and it's just growing more and more every day, unfortunately. Now, there's a certain government organization that refuses to acknowledge the fact that studies of sexual transmission of Lyme disease have been reported, but they refuse to acknowledge this information, and they are still using studies that are over 30 years old. So I'm just going to leave it at that. There's a huge organization that is keeping information from the public and is miseducating physicians and patients and society in general. 30 second interruption. If you are tired of dealing with all these unnecessary symptoms and you'd like to get to the root causes of your problems, just apply to work with me. I help people like you every single day find answers with functional labs, root cause approaches, and holistic health. I work one-on-one with USA and Canada and offer an affordable, independent program worldwide. If you need help, just click on the Apply to Work With Me link in the show notes. Now back to the podcast. So the government organization claims there is no congenital transmission or sexual transmission, but a growing number of children diagnosed with Lyme disease, whose mothers also have Lyme, were experiencing symptoms at the time of the pregnancy. And this information, these cases are growing all the time. And transmission through breast milk has also been reported as well as, like I said, sexual transmission. So if you notice that you suddenly got ill after being in a new relationship that's something to consider. But again, there's so many things that can be causing that, not just this. But basically, there are a lot of uh, false information sites out there and resources, and there's a lot of miseducation and malpractice going on, and people are being misguided, misdiagnosed, wrongly treated, um, 
sometimes not even diagnosed at all and they look fine on labs, but they're obviously very sick. So, and there's also a myth that antibiotics are the first line of treatment for Lyme disease, especially if it's in that short window. But the thing with antibiotics is that they don't eradicate every single bacteria. They just bring down the numbers enough so that your body can take over. You're never talking about eradicating every single microbe, even with something like an acute infection, pneumonia, for example. Again, all you're doing is taking these numbers down so that the body can do its job. And when we look at Lyme disease, we're mostly looking as a manifestation of chronic illness and dysfunction. So simply taking antibiotics isn't going to fix those underlying imbalances that were there in the first place, like nervous system dysregulation, nutrient deficiencies, immune dysfunction, gut imbalances, and so on. The antibiotics are not going to fix all those things. And in fact, like most people, if you have microbiome imbalance, the antibiotics are just going to put you in a worse place than you are before because we know what antibiotics do to the gut. So with antibiotics, they can be helpful in some cases if you get it really quick and the person has a strong enough immune system to handle these microbes and so that they don't become an issue later on. But with most people with chronic Lyme, it's not the acute phase that makes them sick. They might have some symptoms, they feel okay, but oftentimes many years later, that's when people start to get chronically ill out of almost nowhere. But the fact is the microbes were there, whether we got those numbers down or not, they were there. And over time, because of those pre-existing imbalances and accumulating imbalances over time, toxic load, more stress, more illnesses, then the microbes now have an opportunity to take over and cause this chronic illness known as Lyme disease. So there have been many reports of people who get the 30 days of antibiotics and they were fine for a while, but then they show up with chronic illness months later or even years later. So and it happens way too often Basically, the antibiotics, they knock the numbers down, but the bacteria still get into your tissues. And if your immune system isn't strong, then that isn't going to be enough. Okay. And that was taken from Dr. Bill Rawls' site, which I have cited in the show notes. He's an amazing resource for Lyme disease. And he was also on my podcast. So make sure to give that episode a listen. I believe it was called Stealth Microbes, Keys to Chronic Illness, something along those lines. But Dr. Bill Rawls' name shows up in the name of that podcast as well. There are many myths when it comes to Lyme disease and even more myths when it comes to these Lyme co-infections like mycoplasma, babesia, and many others, other viruses that are reactivated with this like Epstein-Barr. There's just so much wrong information and it's unfortunate that people are suffering with chronic illness with absolutely no answers and wrong treatment. So another thing I wanted to address is the testing. A lot of people who test for Lyme disease end up with false negatives, and that's because the testing is antibody testing. Because these are stealth 
I want to emphasize they are stealth microbes, meaning meaning they are they like to hide, go undetected, they're sneaky. So they have learned and evolved to trick the body's immune system. And they might not always be in the bloodstream at the time where you take the test. They could be hiding deep in tissues, like even the brain or the spleen or the liver. These microbes like to hide and travel and be sneaky. So antibody testing is not a very accurate form of testing, and there's so many false negatives. So if you've tested for Lyme in the past and you were negative, you might want to rethink that, okay? It's very difficult to test and diagnose this because we're we're now developing into a chronic illness. It's no longer an acute illness. We can test for acute illness a lot easier, and most treatment, as we know, is more geared along this model of acute care, whereas the chronic care is lacking and the chronic illness community is suffering because the treatment from acute to chronic just isn't translating properly. So testing for these is highly inaccurate. Some doctors who are Lyme specialists don't even test for these and they assume that they're there based on certain other lab markers. They can build a picture of maybe nutrient deficiencies, looking at the complete blood panel and looking at symptoms, history, certain signs of maybe being outdoors, being bitten. They just build this picture and put all the puzzle pieces together without even testing these antibody panels. So again, it's not the most accurate form of testing for these. Uh, There's a new testing method known as bioresonance. The research is lacking and limited, so many people are still skeptical, which I completely understand. But the one that I use is not meant to be diagnostic. It's for educational purposes only. And from what I've seen clinically, it is highly accurate. I see patterns that are verified all the time. So I'll have a client come to me with a previous blood panel showing positive for reactivated Epstein-Barr, and it will show on the bioresonance later. Okay, so just patterns like that. I've seen that happen all the time. Again, bioresonance, the research is still lacking. Hopefully, they come out with some studies on that. There are some, but we need a lot more to get the public more on board with this type of energetic frequency testing. But many physicians do use this type of testing in conjunction with symptoms, history, and other labs. It is a great tool to verify what you're already theorizing that's happening. So again, testing is not always (laughs) that helpful, but the more information we have, the better. And the more education and proper information we have, the better, because you will be empowered in your health journey. When you know more, you are more empowered to take matters into your own hands, find the right and qualified help, and have better outcomes. So I hope that all made sense. I wanted to cover Lyme disease myths, and I hope I did that. And I will definitely have more episodes coming out on this topic because it is a growing passion of mine, and I do feel like I have a soft spot for this area. I've 
personally dealt with Lyme co-infections and still am, but I'm on the road to recovery and I'm doing really great because I have access to the right and helpful information, just like I want for all of you. So take care and best of luck in your healing journey. Thank you so much for listening. Hey there. Thanks for listening. You can find me on Instagram at gutexpertriley, on Facebook at The Gut Pharmacist, same spelling as this podcast, on YouTube at The Gut Pharmacist, and my website is holisticriley.podia.com, where you can find information on working with me, my background, and more helpful information to feel empowered in your journey.